This podcast is brought to you by KT, the organic cold brew iced tea, which you can find in select UK retail stores and their website kt.co.uk, spelt k-a-y-t-e-a.co.uk. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Crowncast, where we discuss with capital allocators about their why and how they go about placing capital into specific projects. Today, we have an amazing property investor, Perminda, thank you for joining us. Thank you, and it's good to be here in Zubay. Shall we go straight in and talk a little bit about uh, the projects you invest in? But before we do, it would be good to give our listeners a better sense of who you are, your background, and how you came about to focus within the the, the sector that you currently focus on. Okay, so I'll I'll be brief here because, uh, you know, uh, as you know, I always like to tell a story, but uh, I'll be very brief today. Um, so I come out of the uh, finance world, um, financial reporting, analysis, mergers, acquisitions. And back in 2016, I just finished a project working out in the Middle East for my company. And the plan was for me to go to the US. So I, I came out to a local broker, which is a commercial broker, and said, look, I've got a small uh, residential portfolio. We need to refinance it because I'm going to be out of the country for more than six months. Brokers turned around and gave me such bad advice. Uh, To one point, I actually phoned the FCA and said, what financial qualifications do you have for brokers? And the FCA said, well, we don't have any qualifications. And I said, well, do you know three of your brokers have just told me to sell my properties to a limited company, my own limited company, and they had no understanding of the tax implications or um, uh, stamp duty etc my wife when I told my wife this story she said well there you go you've got an you've got somewhere in the market to do something build your own brokerage and that's how I became a commercial broker and set up this business based on a very different type of model uh, using my financial skills but also my consulting skills um, so I have a, I'm not a what I call a factory broker I don't fill out forms and just pass it on. I work with clients from start to finish in between doing my own property investments. Fantastic. We love a good story here. It's all about the narrative. And and that trajectory sounds very relevant. And one that we hear a lot, people that come into this because they're trying to solve a problem that they've experienced. So you having experienced that um, poor advice led to your deciding to make things better for, for future premenders. So um, with respect to your own decision-making around projects you decide to back, either decide to invest in or you decide to get investors to place capital into, do you want to talk through some of the selection criteria? I know we normally talk about tech projects here on Crowncast, but the idea is to cover a wider range or the widest possible range of businesses and property sector, as you know, here in the UK is a significant sector. Well, Look, you know, I'm uh, I'm very simplistic guy. Um, every investment to me as as much and and take this for face value, right? So um, I, I speak to a lot of people, and they all tell me about how they're ethically um, looking at it, any type of investment, or they're doing something for someone else, and it's got to be all of this. I'm I'm not going to give you any of that. My decision making is very very simplified, and is based on financial analysis. Right. If I if I invest a pound, I want a return. 
So go back to my background, which is finance, spreadsheets, analysis, telling companies how well they're doing, how bad they're doing, that sort of stuff. I picked that up and brought that into my investment and my professional world. So I, I have a very simplified return on investment model, which I have created. I don't tell anyone about it, what I, what I do in that model, what I look for. But it's, it's all based upon if, if it's my own money going into it, what return am I going to get? If, it's, if I'm going to get someone institutional money, what's the return there? What's the return for me? And above all, what's the quality of the product that's being built? Because a return on investment is not just on the day that you've got your uh, um, return on your capital. It's not just that day. It can be a long-winded process, especially when investors, clients, they're not one-off. If someone's going into a property investment, I can almost guarantee unless they have a bad experience, they're going to come back again. So the people I deal with, um, and which is quite amazing for me, um, I have a, the same group of people doing the same things over and over again. And we assess the same things. It's, it's very, on the odd occasion, an, another a third party would come into the wider group and say, hey, I've got a development, what do you think? If that makes sense. And um, we like to dig a little, but um, I hear you around your simplified return on investment models and your hurdle rate or the threshold you use for your own internal return as well as for the return on the invested capital from other people you collaborate with. So so if, if you can't share those numbers, can you share some numbers in terms of how much capital you tend to allocate into projects, what size of projects you prefer to work on, and and maybe in addition to those numbers, if you can talk about some of the, the green flags and what attracts you to projects besides the, the financials, which you said is all about the financials, but is there anything else about projects that make them stand out? Because there, there's so many projects that might have, on paper, fantastic return. Absolutely. So, so let, let's split it all up. So if it's, if it's my own capital that's being used, um, first of all, I have to get permission from the boss. She holds the purse strings. So she decides whether it's a good or bad decision. So I do have to do a little bit of begging. But uh, in in the main, um, the average size of investment that I would personally look at, and especially in today's climate, uh, is between that 250 and 1 million mark. And that's, you know, if it's solely my own uh, investment. And I'll explain a little bit more than that, uh, why it's, in that uh, sort of uh, price range, that uh, capital outlay range. The big thing for me is that um, it, it's it's based on you never just use your own funds. You're always going to have bring in additional funds, whether it's additional investors, whether it's institutions, and so on. So you could end up um, you could in, end up investing on a 10 million pound project but my investment will be limited to that 750 for 750k for example and some of it would come from other investors some of it would come from institutional the reason why we do that is to make sure that there's a level of governance and control within the project if you invest your own capital that means you've got to invest your own time 
100% into that project. And when you're running your own professional business, you're volunteering, and you're doing this project investment, sometimes time is your biggest commodity. So that's why. So that's the price range on that. If it's investments, if it's being part of an investment or institutional investment, if, if I turn around and look at my open cases board right now, we've got projects on here, development projects, property investment projects, some as high as uh, 35 million, some some as low as half a million, some as low. Uh, I've, I've just had one through early this morning, a very, very simple purchase refurb um, treat as a HMO, but it's up in the north. It's £200,000. Very, very simple. So I hope that answers the, the capital outlay question part of it. No, perfect. That summarizes it pretty well in terms of the capital outlay and some of the types of property ventures you get exposed to. And it's interesting you mentioned around the relationships, another key area. So with respect to the partners, you mentioned it's typically more than once you'd work with them on transactions. And I'm curious, um, in terms of the projects that are invested in, is there any value add or what else comes with the capital? You you alluded to governance, but is there anything else that's um, maybe not just necessary, but important to have in order to make the project more likely to succeed? Or is it more a case of in the property space, once you deploy that capital, the developers know exactly what they're doing and they don't need introductions, support or any other type of overlay? No. Well, before we go on to that piece, look at the type of project. So I I don't personally get involved in projects which are, um, for example, these big schemes, in, which are not, prop, in my view, they're not property development, they're building units. So, if, so for example, uh, I live in West London, uh, and a, particularly um, a, a West London borough, which is almost split into two elements. There's the west of the borough and the east of the borough. The east of the borough is considered um, very uh, um, affluent and the west of the borough is considered less affluent. But the amount of money available in both sides is very, very, very much the same. There's a lot of people building huge huge numbers of units, 100 units, 50 units, 60 units. They term these units. They don't term them as homes. So what I'm seeing now is that the people who invested those um, uh, large into, into large units, they're struggling because people don't like necessarily living in those one-bedroom, two-bedroom units. People want homes. So... In my ROI um, calculator, I always look for projects which are building homes. No, no one in West London, for example, thinks about, if I'm going to build a one-bedroom commuter home, well, 100%, one of the people, one of the couple, is going to have a car. If there's no car parking, whether you build a house, whether you build an, uh, two apartments, whatever, it doesn't work. So think think about what people actually require. So even some of the blocks that I've invested in and they've been converted over to uh, residential units, they're done to a very high standard. Now, at the onset, when you're actually doing the capital assessment on these type of projects, 
people are saying that your return isn't going to be there. You're not going to have a good uh, a good return on your investment and you're not going to be able to refinance. But guess what? When the market gets goes into a downturn, guess which properties are still turning over? The quality properties. So that's that's one thing. It's, it's looking for the right type of uh, investment, not just, you know, here's a tower block, let's invest in this. If that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and, and one penultimate question. I mean, the UK market doing what it's doing now, it it seems to be in a bit of a wobble. I don't know if you have any sort of approach to projects that are unique to this current time of rising interest rates, rising inflation, and other macro conditions one has to think about. Um, and, and what's your view on on where sort of vendors or individuals that are launching property projects in this time um you know what what should they be thinking the key for me is that the current economy and the interest rate uh, situation it's a massive sledgehammer and it's the only tool to actually do anything so the bank of england have got this massive sledgehammer out and they're trying to knock everyone's he- uh, uh, everyone out personally I think it's a very poor way of doing things because all you're doing, you know, people are forgetting that for two years we all sat at home getting paid, right? So we built up our savings. Then COVID ended. What we're going to do with all our savings, we're going to go and spend. And recent news has shown, you know, you know, um, supermarkets overcharging on operating as cartels for food prices, uh, energy companies do, doing all the things that they're, they're doing. It's not just interest rates, but we're hammering the public again with interest rates and allowing those companies to get away with everything, right? Which can easily be regulated and easily can be managed. But no, we say, let's let's make the public suffer a bit more. So in my world, what I see, more experienced people than myself and more intelligent people than myself, what they've done now, no one's actually going out and buying new standalone investment property unless they've got cash and they're looking for distressed uh, sales everyone is now starting development projects which have 18 months to two years uh, length in completion because they've got the funding the funding's remained the same whether it's private whether it's institutional the, the rates haven't really changed dramatically and they know that they will spend two years working on these projects. I saw saw the liaison committee um, uh, uh, interviewing the prime minister yesterday and complaining that we're not building um, three hundred thousand homes; we're only building two hundred thousand homes. Right. So we still know we've got a gap. So if you build the right quality stuff, whether we have a changing government next year or the year after, which is more than likely. They're still not going to need housing. The only problem is that some of my my client base are building vast developments. And one of the problems is that when you build a certain amount of units, you have to have a certain amount allocated to affordable housing. And my biggest concern is we're concentrating all of the affordable housing in one place rather than spreading it. So we're creating almost like an estate culture again. The developments might be new now, but in five years' time, they won't be new. And if you haven't actually spread out and tried to raise the standard, 
you're going to create an estate um, uh, sort of complex, which we all know doesn't really work. So uh, again, very again, very simply, people are start moving away from investment asset acquisition to development. Sure. Th- thank you for that, Perminder. And the final question is, where can folks find you online? What are your socials? Right. So this this is the biggest problem with me because a lot of well, the majority of my business becomes uh, comes through referrals. So I am on LinkedIn, but I haven't actually done any um, a- any other social media. Um, I think if I'm out of the house a little bit more, um, I won't have a boss. Uh, she's already threatened to kick me out once, and I don't really want to go and uh, be kicked out. <laughs> so, but no, yeah. LinkedIn and the IOD, um, you, you know I'm very active on the property group for the IOD, um, but please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, there's always projects and always situations. Um, my, my speciality is not just focused on my own investment. It's also helping people who may have been uh, got themselves into a little bit of complex situations. Indeed. And a uh, uh, shout out to the boss before we go to, to Mrs. Gatore. And um, I'll include the links to your LinkedIn and to the Institute Directors um, Special Interest Group you refer to, the um, Property and Built Environment uh, Special Interest Group, so folks can find you there. So all that's left is to thank you again so much, Praminda, for your time with us and for sharing uh, quite openly what it takes for a deal to be of interest to you and, and that process and, and your view on the markets as well. So thank you, Perminda. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. And that's all we have time for on this episode. So um, until the next time, please like, subscribe, share, and leave comments below. I'm your host, Unzube Ufodike. Take care. Bye.